If you've been listening to my show for a while, you know how I like to talk about a gut biome test. I call it a fancy poop test. It's a fancy name for a poop test. And it's going to tell us what the ecosystem is in your gut. And why that's important is since food's the best medicine, it's going to tell us, here are your superfoods just for you to eat. Here are the foods for you to avoid. And here's everything else. Eat this a lot. Eat this a little. Now, my team has been very busy and they got an amazing deal. For anybody that wants to do this test, you can do it at home. You don't need a doctor's orders. All you have to do is just go to Viome, V as in Victor, I-O-M as in Mary, E.com, Viome.com. And at checkout, use the secret code, Julie Ryan, and you'll get more than 50% off. Don't put any spaces in there, just Julie Ryan. It's an amazing test. It's going to give you tons of information. I've done it several times myself, and you're going to be thrilled with the information you get because it'll give you a program just for you. Give it a whirl. Julie Ryan, noted psychic and medical intuitive, is ready to answer your personal questions, even those you never knew you could ask. For more than 25 years, as she developed and refined her intuitive skills, Julie used her knowledge as a successful inventor and businesswoman to help others. Now, she wants to help you to grow, heal, and get the answers you've been longing to hear. Do you have a question for someone who's transitioned? Do you have a medical issue? What about your pet's health or behavior? Perhaps you have a loved one who's close to death and you'd like to know what's happening. Are you on the path to fulfill your life's purpose? No matter where you are in the world, take a journey to the other side and ask Julie Ryan. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Ask Julie Ryan Show. I'm Julie, your host, and I'm so delighted that you could join us this week. My intention in doing this show is to provide inspiration, insight, and comfort to people all around the world by helping to answer life's unanswerable questions. And do I have a treat for you this week? Oh my gosh, I'm so excited to introduce you to Monica Lever. She is a dream interpreter. She's a dream guide. She's a dream diagnostician. How about that for a title? <laughs> That's you, a can tell I, you, you can tell I was in the medical business for decades, right? Absolutely. A dream diagnostician. Can you imagine having that as a website? Oh my no. gosh, that would yeah. be crazy. <laughs> so uh, I thought it would be fun because I get asked a lot about what does this dream mean? And I'll give what spirit tells me, but I know there's a whole science to this. And I know you're an expert on that. So I thought it would be fun to have Monica on. And and I think eventually what we'll do is we'll just have you on a regular week and people can call in and ask you questions about their dreams. But I thought it would be fun to just get the basics covered and then we'll go from there. And a little bit of a tease. I have a dream that's the most memorable dream I've ever had. And I I wrote it up and I sent it to Monica ahead of the time, ahead of us talking today. And so she's interpreted it. And I can't wait to hear what you have to say. I was telling my brother Jay earlier this morning when I was talking to him on my walk, I said, I said, my dream gal's gonna be on and I'm gonna get the dream interpreted. So he wants me to call him as soon as we're done. Oh, great. So that I can tell him yes. what it means. So well, welcome, welcome. So delighted so to much. have you. Thanks. Well, thank you so much for having me on your show. I, I want to make sure that your audience understands that I am one of your graduates. And I was in your AAT5 
angel angelic attendance training five fifth class and I from that experience has come just a, a myriad of synchronicities that have brought me to where I am today which is interpreting dreams on a professional basis now um, and it, it it's all evolved really wonderfully and taking your class was a catalyst I mean I've always been a lifelong learner of metaphysical and esoteric wisdom my dad introduced me to this you know uh, passion, this philosophy. I, I've been reading about this kind of thing. I've dabbled in astrology. I've, I'm a Reiki two level healer. I've, um, I've, I've taken classes with uh, shaman, and I. So I've always been a, a seeker, lifelong learner, is like what I've stated. And uh, dreams have just kind of evolved. This is this is kind of the path that I've found myself on. And I'm so excited because there's there's so much more to dreams than we give credit for. And so I'm excited to have been able to interpret your dream. And I can't wait to share it with you, but that'll be that'll be in a little while. We've got some other things to cover first, I think. But I um I just want to share that, you know, we we so overlook the beautiful and wonderful tool that that dreams are right and you you realize this already i do i get i get asked about dreams as i mentioned by a lot of clients and they'll say i had this dream and so we'll get into that i i got a few questions for you just to lay the groundwork and and i think it it'll be fun to hear what you have to say about my dream right. and just as an example yeah. with that and you said that your dad really got you interested in dreams because I know you've had a lot of different trainings. You told me Reiki and shaman and, and what else? I wrote them down. Um, I mean, I'm, you know, I've dealt uh, with psychology and I was in the medical field for almost 20 years myself in yeah. direct patient care and an administration. And then I became a public school teacher because I just love teaching. And, you know, and then I decided to retire three years ago. God guided me to retire from teaching because there were some things in my personal life situation that were falling into place. First of all, my father passed away. Uh, and then my daughter got married and, and had her, our first grandchild. And I was able to be there with my family. And I'm a very family oriented person. So um, it gave me the opportunity to spend the time that I needed to with my family and be there for them. But in the meantime, also, I was taking dream classes with a dear friend of mine that was also a retired teacher. And, uh, and you know, one thing has led to another. Like I said, I've had a lot of synchronicities more so recently. And when you open yourself up to spirit and trust and believe in that, it's, it's amazing what, you know, what you allow to come to you. Absolutely. So your family, are you from a spiritual family? You said your dad had a big influence. Tell oh, yeah. us about your growing up years and what the temperature was as far as spiritual things or religious okay. things. And obviously it laid a framework for you to get to this point now. And, and to your point, you've been led, you're being led. We're all led. We all 
are led to where our next step is and where where we want to go. It's not like we come in with a roadmap. Okay, go here and then you do this and then you do this. It unfolds as we take another right, step. Honey, so- I only wish that would have been the case for me because like I, you know, like I've shared, I I'm I've been a lifelong seeker and it's been frustrating for me, honestly, because I feel like, you know, where are the answers? Why don't I already know this? Why aren't you taking my hand and telling me what to do? And why aren't, you know, why aren't things so obvious? Well, because you're meant to discover it in your own way and in your own time when it's meant for you to do so. And so my dad, both of my parents emigrated from Europe, from Germany, and grew up during World War II. So they had traumatic childhoods. And uh, my dad did have, um, and he wasn't very open about it, but I, he did share briefly with me that he had at least two near-death experiences as a child. One, I think, from malnutrition, excuse Mm -hmm. me, and another he wouldn't even get into. But it was very difficult, of course, for him to talk about it. And so, you know, being the stoic generation that they were, it was much easier for them just to kind of cover it up and, and, you know, push it down and not deal with it like we are doing more so these days. Right. So that led him to. become curious, of course, about spirit and uh, the metaphysical world. And, and even though my dad uh, had, you know, he wasn't educated, so to speak, he was an avid reader. And he really delved into a lot of the esoteric and mystery teachings from ancient Egypt and the mysticism of Christianity and Judaism and, uh, you know, like the Kabbalah and Gnosticism. He explored it all. And through that, shared an appreciation for the beyond. And I always wanted to be intuitive. I wasn't necessarily a I can't consider myself a psychic naturally, although of course all of us are, right? But, um, and I think that was my frustration too, is I had to learn how to develop it. It wasn't just gifted to me automatically. So it's made me appreciate it, uh, you know, as I've become more mature. And so we weren't raised in a religion and I was almost a little resentful of that as well because I I must've have had past lives in in, a monastery or in a nunnery or in a cloister, uh, whatever term you want to use, because I so appreciate the music and the chanting and the alone time um, and the contemplation um, and the ritual of, you know, of the major religions. Uh, And I didn't learn those rituals or practices as a child. And I felt like I kind of missed out on some of that teaching and experience. Well, it's a form of meditation, praying, like uh, the rosary, you know, I was raised Catholic. So the rosary is a form of meditation and prayer beads have been around for forever in all kinds of different cultures and religions. And I think that that chanting and the contemplative life and all of that is comparable to what we hear about with the, the, uh, oh, like the Maharishis and those kind of guys that meditate six, seven, eight hours a day. Ones that have and, dedicated themselves to this practice. Right. 
And I used to think as a young adult, probably as a teenager and as a young adult, and of course I was taught by nuns. And I remember thinking about some of the nuns that I had, and you know, this is as a kid, I don't know that I'd think this now, but I remember thinking, I'm not so sure you could survive in a normal society. You know, it was better for them to be in a congregation of nuns and have that because their personality was different. I didn't mean it in a nasty way. I meant it in an observant way. Mm -hmm. Different personalities are good at doing different things. Mm -hmm. And somebody who's a Maharishi or somebody who's a monk or somebody who's a cloistered nun, that's what their personality is. And that's what they're led to do. So interesting that you related to that so much. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I am an introvert. I think by nature, um, I'm learning to balance out that part of my personality. Um, and I've always been interested in psychology. So I've, you know, I've delved in, in have delved into, you know, learning about Carl Jung, cause he's like the king of dream work and, and creating all of that for us and, um, understanding personality types and energy types. And so I've always been curious I think what it boils down to, Julie, is I've always wanted to understand how I operate. You know, who am I? Why am I here? Why am I the way I am? Um, And how can I better myself? How can I grow? And how can I find my way back home? Yeah. What's home to you? Spirit. What does spirit mean to you? Oneness. I'm sorry. <laughs> you can tell this is emotional for me. Um, being one with God. Yeah. Good. Yeah. yeah. It's it's one interesting one. for me. It's less of a figure kind of a thing. It's more being in the energy of it. Spirit exactly. is energy. Yeah. And right? I and you know from the class, I I like to say that we're similar to a drop of the ocean. When we're out of the ocean, we're a drop. When we get in the ocean, we're all part of that collective body of water that is the ocean. And that's how I look at spirit. Yeah. Because we're all, I agree. We're all we all have a, a part of the divine in us. Absolutely. Another analogy would be being part of the tapestry. We're all threads of the universal tapestry. And once we realize that we are connected as difficult as it might be sometimes to realize you're connected to someone you may not care for, like personality wise, when we're on this human level on this human plane, you know, we are, and and dreams have helped me to understand really how connected we really are. And we'll get into that a little bit further. So, so why, why dream interpretation specifically, what led you to go into that niche if you will, of dream interpretation coming from the big overall spirit interested in near-death experiences like your dad was telling you about, interested in all these different modalities of exploring spirit in the woo-woo space, as I call it. What led you to really focus on dreams and dream interpretation? Thank you. That's a great question. And it really has come about fairly recently, specifically. Uh, So after taking your class, which was in January and to mid-February of 2020, right before the, um, you know, all the COVID stuff hit, the COVID crisis hit, uh, 
Taking your class is what got me through last year with a minimum amount of fear and a maximum amount of health. And I felt like I could carry that energy for my family and for myself. And, uh, you know, having that vibration and, and having you share that high vibe with us and instilling it in your students um, really, like I said, created a catalyst for me. Um, and, and, I, and it kind of helped me see the path that I was uh, meant to be on. Fast forward about a year from your class, I went on a retreat, uh, spiritual retreat in Sedona. And I mentioned something during this small group retreat about dreams and how in a dream, every person and every symbol, every object is an aspect of yourself, which is kind of hard to wrap your mind around. It's kind of a big thought, but um, it, it's, there's much truth to that. And so I just happened to mention that because someone had been talking about dreams or mentioned dreams. And that's all I said. And a few days after the retreat, the woman, the very intuitive woman who also has had a near-death experience in her, in her past, uh, called me and said, you know, what you said really stuck with me. And I've, I've had a dream that I'm so curious about. Can I just run it past you and see what you think? And I thought, well, okay, you know, I'm, I'll be game. So she described her dream. And right away, I thought about it. I just kind of like had this download, so to speak. Um, and I, I said, well, you know, right off the bat, Chris, I, this is kind of what I think it's related to. And this is what I think is, is what it is. And she stopped for a moment and she said, oh my God, you're right. Oh my gosh, you're right. That it, so we realized that I had a gift <laughs> for doing this. And it's just, it's just a tool for me to share my intuition. Exactly. You learned right? how to, you learned how to access your intuition, validate your intuition, and therefore trust your intuition. And yeah. that's what led you down the path to get to the opportunity to interpret her dream. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, so there, there was the realization and there was the, there was that kind of moment that path presented itself was like, oh my goodness. Wow. Dreams. How, what an interesting tool to use. And, um, you know, I had been, like I said, I'd been taking dream classes and had been enjoying them and learning a lot. Uh, and I've learned, you know, even more since, since last January, but, um, so yeah, now it's now it's the tool that I use to to really be able to share my my gift of intuition. When I was coming up with a way to describe what you do for everybody, I came up with and I even wrote this down. It was so good I wrote it down. <laughs> and it's and I came up with that Monica seeks to understand the self. That's that psychology part through what is naturally provided to us on a nightly basis in dreams. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. So you're welcome to poach that and use that if you'd like. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and, and it's something that we all experience. Right. But why is it that some people remember dreams and some people don't? 
I've run into people who say, gosh, I never remember my dreams. Yeah. Ever. That's my mom. Why is that? Well, I have a couple of different theories around that. I think first of all, sometimes we, we, we sleep so deeply that, uh, we don't remember our dreams as readily. Um, and we can train ourselves to remember dreams. I think there are some dreams that are that are so vivid and provide such a strong message that your inner self really wants to capture your attention. And so either they'll provide it through recurring dreams or they'll provide it through a nightmare or a dream visitation from a past, you know, a loved one that's passed on or a pet that's passed on. There are there are really so many different types of dreams. But I think it, it, it's a matter of kind of putting your mind to it. Do you want to remember your dreams? Or do you want to just look at them as entertainment? Right? We don't take, many of us don't take dreams seriously and don't realize that gift that is provided to us on a nightly basis. I mean, it's been proven scientifically that we we have to sleep and we have to dream in order to maintain a balance of, of sanity, you know, um, it, it, it's an integral part of our existence and our health. And uh, so, you know, I, I don't have a specific answer for that. You know, why do some people remember and some don't? I, I think it's because there's a lot of factors involved, frankly. Mm-hmm. So, but like I said, we can teach ourselves to remember dreams. And, and if we go to bed at night with the intention, you know, I want to remember my dream and, um, and I've got a few tips on my website, you know, that if people are are curious, they can read or just Google, you know, how do I remember my dreams? It's all out there. Can you share a few of those tips with us? Sure. Uh, my favorite one is to make sure that I have a dream, have a dream journal with a pen or pencil next to your bed. And if you wake up from a dream, simply write down, you don't have to write down the whole dream, but capture, you know, like the main gist of it, like the most prominent objects or people that are in your dream. And, um, as a matter of fact, I, we haven't talked about this yet, but I've co-hosted a, a podcast about dreams. And uh, there's one particular episode where we talk about um, how to remember dreams and we give tips and tricks. And, you know, there's lots of things. People will drink lavender tea before they go to bed or um, they will uh you know, make sure to drink water so that they have to get up in the middle of the night and awaken themselves to capture a dream. Um, that wouldn't be my favorite way to go about it. But, um, you know, as soon as you awaken in the morning, if you can just just quickly jot down, like I said, just some basic information and then take the time. And I think this is where we fall down. We get so busy that we don't take the time to reflect back to the dream. Because once you start writing out um, the details of your dream story, you'd be surprised at how much detail comes back and what you are able to remember after all. I think we just don't give it the time and the grace for it to come back into our memory, into our waking memory. Because in my mind, dreams are 
when, and you've said this, it's, it's a way for our egos to get out of the way so that our inner self can, can appear to us because all dreams, no matter how frightening or delightful they might be, all dreams have a healing message for us. That's a big statement, right? Interesting. All yes. dreams have a healing message for us. They're all, they're all positive. There's a positive message because it's truly your inner self guiding you to heal. Bam. Interesting. <laughs> okay. I'm writing that down. All dreams have a healing message for us. Yeah. Yes. I think, all- I think that's really profound, Monica, because people, when they have scary dreams, they think there are demons in the house or something like that, or they're being tormented or something. And, you know, I don't believe in demons. I don't believe in hell. I don't believe in anything negative. I think that's the person's uh, ego and their brain that are messing with them. It's not an evil spirit because all spirits are pure love. It's their interpretation of it. I use, I like to use the example of gargoyles. Gargoyles to you and to me are scary. I, you see gargoyles in on the top of buildings. And we think, well, why would anybody put that on the top of their building? But way back when they were supposed to be protecting exactly inhabitants of the house. Exactly. And I think if you took a gargoyle picture or, or showed somebody a gargoyle that grew up in an indigenous tribe that didn't have a frame of reference that gargoyles were supposed to be scary, they would say, oh, that's an interesting looking dog or or animal or whatever. What is is this? Where, where do they live? And they're not going to be afraid of them because they're, they haven't been taught to be afraid of them. Don't you believe that it's the believe, have you found that it's the same way with dreams that people will interpret them based on their frame of reference? And that's why dreams feel scary when really, when you've dissected them, you found that there really is a beneficial message there, not from a scary perspective. Exactly. Like I mentioned before, you know, I'm, and I and I don't want to discount because, you know, like I said, we all have, there's so many different types of dreams and, and dreams have so many layers in, in and of themselves. Um, that's why it's such a, it's been such a vast, it's been so fun for me to explore this vast world of dream work. Um, cause it can be, it, it goes so deep and it really stretches quite, quite widely. Um, like I said, there's, uh, that philosophy, which I believe to be true that every aspect, every object and, and, and personality that appears in a dream is an aspect of yourself. And so what can be really, really frightening is that fear energy that you're holding from a past traumatic event or an emotion that you're unwilling to face or um, that you haven't had a chance to process yet. And so it's coming up as something very frightening. Emotions are frightening and not all of us want to face them, right? but in the end, if you're able to, like like psychotherapy, if you're able to face it and work through it, there's goals to be had there, right? So I can, we can, you know, it's such a vast subject that we can talk about dreams for days. <laughs> so, right, right. but well, uh, it, it seems to me that 
dream dreams and dream interpreters have been around since the beginning of humankind. Yes. I think of Merlin the magician who was an astrologer and a psychic and an advisor and a dream interpreter and all of that to King Arthur and Camelot. Certainly their dreams throughout the Bible and exactly. other holy texts, all of them have dreams. Exactly. The angel appeared to Mary and said, you're going to be pregnant. The angel appeared to Joseph and said, go back by a different way. And the wise men had a dream as well to go back by a different way and to not go back and talk to King Herod and all of that. So do you find that throughout history, dream interpretation has been very much part of the fabric of people's lives? And then perhaps in recent years, as we've become more well-educated, it's fallen by the wayside a little bit. And perhaps this is my hit on it. I'm, I'm interested to hear what you think that that's why it resonates so much with people because it's so much a part of our DNA throughout history that even though it's lapsed for a while, when we hear something and it feels familiar and it resonates, I think it's because we've, we've lived with it or dealt with it or heard it in many, many, many past lives, which are, what are your thoughts on that? So you're tapping into archetypes which are those symbols that are part of our DNA that, uh, and Carl Jung really, he's a famous Swiss psychologist that studied with Freud, but then split with him to create his own psychoanalysis. And he was fascinated with dream work and really developed the whole dream work uh, process and understanding around dream work. And, um, the, the, uh, my co-host, my podcast co-host, Laura, who is a, wonderfully talented uh, artist. She paints her dreams. She's inspired by her dreams. Um, you know, we, she and I have had a lot of very interesting conversations over the last few months about archetypes and how uh, the history and the, and, you know, cultures, ancient cultures and, you know, all, 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 all the, what I'm trying to say, I'm sorry, I'm stumbling over my words. I apologize that dream, dream interpreters were actually quite revered within cultures for many centuries throughout time. They, they were the guides that guided leaders that guided the common folk. You know, I know that there's African tribes that, uh, in the, in the past, you know, in the mornings, the first thing you would do is as they're, you know, making breakfast and breaking bread with one another, they would talk about their dreams and they would analyze each other's dreams. And they would talk about how do we move on as a people? How do we move on as a tribe? How do we deal with conflict and how do we deal with phenomena that, that are appearing to us? And so, and and I think technology, unfortunately, has dampened our ability to self-reflect. We've we've been so distracted by the outer world that we've forgotten some of that art, that ancient art, right? And I, but I think as as people become aware again um, of consciousness and and how we're developing as humans, I believe we're all, you know, we're, we're all rising and most of us anyway, <laughs> um, to, to find our way back home into that 
oneness with universe. And I think that's why dream work is coming back. And that's why people are interested again um, in, in looking within themselves for the answers rather than looking without. Mm -hmm. Do you find that, that there are common symbols that show up in dreams for everybody or does everybody have, obviously everybody's dream is a one-time event in all of creation because it's that person dreaming that dream at that time and this time in history on that night, blah, 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 blah. But do you find that back to those archetypes that there are common symbols that most people see frequently, often, rarely are there? Often. 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 Can you give us some examples of that? Oh gosh, where do I start? Yes. I mean, uh, colors, there's archetype, there's, there's information on colors, there's information on objects. So, you know, a lot of people dream of either houses, which can represent the physical body, uh, or they, or they dream about being in a car and that signifies your path in life. You know, are you driving the car? Are you in charge or are you in the back seat? And some, you're letting somebody else take charge of where you're going. Mm, interesting. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like I mentioned just a moment ago, colors, you know, colors each have their own vibration and their own sets of meaning and are very archetypal. Um, you know, what's an example of a couple of colors and what they signify. So colors often to me, one way that I can connect color archetypes is with the elements. So fire, air, earth, and water. And when you think of those elements, I think people just naturally associate color with each of those elements. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. You know, you've got the reds and the oranges and the, the flames for the fire, and you've got um, the the more pearlescent, uh, clear blue skies, you know, for air. And you've got more of that browns and earth tones, greens for earth, and then for water, the blues and the beachy colors. And I mean, I'm really, I'm really narrowing it down, but um, all of it's interrelated, all of it's interrelated and it's part of our um, earthly experience. And it's part of our collective unconscious is what Carl Jung called it. And um, my friend Laura, who I have podcasted with, liked to call it the collective memory. And I like that phrase. I prefer that phrase over collective unconscious because when you dream, you do tap into your unconscious, but it's becoming conscious. So there's a process. There's an alchemical process to that, which is a whole nother realm to talk about. Um, Let's see, before I go down another rabbit hole, I wanted to get back on track. I'm sorry. I was trying to. I have another another question for you along those lines. Okay. It's my understanding that when we have a dream at times, since we don't have a frame of reference for it in our human world without somebody's help like you, we're in and out of different realities when Mm -hmm. we sleep. And so we may be in in another reality that doesn't have significance to us in our human frame of reference. And so that's why it's so helpful to work with somebody like you who can interpret what those things mean from an archetypal and also, uh, and, and you're using your woo woo, you're that you learned you're lo- using your intuition 
you're getting guided by spirit. When you talk about those divine downloads come, I call them divine downloads. When you just get information that comes in your head and you just know stuff and those thoughts come in right away. So you're such a great amalgamation of all these different skill sets that you've developed over your lifetime, including the business stuff and including working in the medical business and including teaching for heaven's sakes. You had to use your intuition with that. You just weren't cognizant maybe of everything you were using. But when you're in a classroom full of kids, you better have your radar turned on or you're going to be in trouble. Most of us have busy lives and we know that we're not getting the nutrients and the vitamins and the minerals that we need. So I'm always looking for easy ways to ingest them. I found one, it's called Beam Minerals. And what I find is that most of us don't get enough potassium, magnesium, and calcium. Those are the big three. And so what Beam Minerals does is it's put all these minerals in a liquid form that's easy to drink because it tastes like water. It's got all these important minerals and a whole bunch of other ones. And I find that they're really helpful. They save me time. They're easy to take. And I suggest that you give them a try. Go to Beam Minerals. B as in boy, E-A-M, minerals, plural, dot com, and use the code Julie Ryan, altogether, no space, at checkout, and you'll get 20% off your order. That's Beam Minerals, B-E-A-M, minerals, dot com, and use Julie Ryan at checkout, and you'll get a 20% discount. Give it a try and let me know what you think. That's exactly true, Julie. And thank you for getting me back on track. I remember now your question of me and it was, do people, you know, about the dreams and um, you can go to a dream dictionary and look up the meaning of a symbol. And yeah, you can get a very generic um, version of that, you know, what that symbol might mean. I, like I said, there's some really good dream um, references that, that lean on archetypes, so to speak. Um, what I tend to do is, is meld the archetypal symbols that are contained in our dreams with the more personal symbols. And so within a dream, there's, there's ancient information, there's cultural information, and there's personal information. And so there's a lot to flesh out in a dream. And that's why they're so many layered because, you can have a dream and you can think about it and think, oh, that's what that meant. And then you can, a few days later, you know, if it was a really significant dream, you can think something will remind you out of the blue. Oh, wait a second. Oh, there's another understanding that I have about this dream. And then, so you can have aha moments, you know, as you continue to kind of process and mull over in your waking mind, um, what dreams really do mean. And that healing is a process. It's not just a one moment thing necessarily. So I hope that answered your question. Yeah, it did. It did. Thanks. What's lucid dreaming? So lucid dreaming is when you actually are in control of your dreams in within that dream state. You have that awareness that you are dreaming, that you're not in conscious waking awareness, but you are able to control your movements. It's an out-of-body experience, basically. 
I'm not a lucid dream or expert necessarily. I know I've had lucid dreams in the past um, and I'm curious about them right now. I haven't, and there's people that are, that, that, that do kind of have become more experts in lucid dreaming, but it's, to me, it's when it's kind of those flying dreams when you, again, it's like an out-of-body experience that you can tell your mind, you can direct where you want to go and what experience you want to have and where you want to visit, you know, and it can be on this earth plane or it can be somewhere else. So they're a lot of fun, but right now my focus is, is more on understanding dreams in and of themselves. When my husband, Tim used to travel a lot, he was in a week out a week for most of our marriage up until about five years ago. And we used to, when he'd be on the road, He'd say, okay, where do you want to meet tonight? And we would say we would meet in our dreams. Oh. He'd say, where do you want to go? And I'd say, okay, let's go to Charleston or let's go to Tahiti or let's go to wherever. And so did and, you? Well, I probably not, but it, it sounded good. <laughs> That's so sweet. I love I it. I know. It sounded good. Honey, I'll meet you at Tahiti on the beach with one of those drinks with an umbrella in Absolutely. it. Absolutely. How lovely. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Talk to us about astral travel. And does everybody astral travel? I think that's that's the next question along the lucid dreaming. Astral travel, what's your understanding of that? And do you believe we all do it? I think astral travel absolutely is a, another layer of lucid dreaming. Um, astral travel to me is done a little bit more consciously. Um, I Again, I, you know, I... I I know of it. I understand it. My dad talked to me about astral traveling. I, I've not delved into it personally much. I know again, I, that I've had an experience or two where I felt like I've asked, I had a dream that I went to Mars and it's so vivid. It's now coming back into my mind. I mean, I, I was in a, in a vehicle with portholes and I remember looking at the portholes and thinking it, you know, red, it was a red planet, rocky, dusty, and my goodness, I think this dream came to me, I don't know, 15 or 20 years ago, even. And I, it's still vivid. I still, it still comes to mind. I, you know, I think everyone has the possibility of doing it. They may not remember that they do it, but I, we're not bound to our bodies. I think the dream state really, that's what's so magical about dreaming is we have that ability to go beyond our physical selves and, and tap into um, that the spirit, our spirit on a little bit more conscious level, perhaps in, within a dream. That's why I get so excited about talking about them. I just think they're such a cool tool, such a cool gift. Well, the interesting thing about astral travel in my mind is I believe we all do every night. And when we feel like we're falling, that's us coming back into our bodies. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and then you yeah, usually exactly. wake up before you yeah. fall. And then the other thing is, is you know this because we do this in the class and you learned how to do this. It's the same thing as what we call non-local reality, where you're able to raise your vibrational level and you're able to see something in a different location mm-hmm. and and have very specific uh descriptions of what you're seeing. And I think it's interesting that a lot of the intelligence agencies, intelligence agencies, since the, the, um, probably since the beginning of wars, they all have people who do non-local reality. And there were guys 
that were working for the CIA and military intelligence during the Cold War that worked for the U.S. government military, and they were able to see Russian missile sites, and they were able to give the latitude and longitude coordinates, and they were able to describe what the ballistic missiles looked like and what the launchers looked like and all of that. And then with the advent of satellites, they were able to corroborate all that information that those guys that were working in intelligence were reporting. So what's your your thought about that? I like to use the example of Bewitched, the TV show that was on when we were kids. And that's right. Wiggle your nose. And Samantha Stevens, the star, for those of you who don't know about Bewitched, she would snap her fingers and she'd be in a different place immediately, or she'd call mother and her mother and Dora would come in or Dr. Bombay or uncle Arthur or somebody like that. And, and when I was a kid, I used to think, Oh, I want to be just like Samantha Stevens. And now I can do all that stuff. I know. And and you can too. And that's a lot of what I teach in my class. So the non-local reality, I think is an awake thing that we can do. And I think the astral travel, it's the same thing. We're just doing it while we're asleep. I agree. And Julie, if you think back, I know, you know, most of us have have heard about the indigenous or Aboriginal tribes that were so much more connected to nature than we are now that, you know, their telepathy, they were so in tune with each other. You know, they could talk to each other when they were miles apart, or they could send warnings to, you know, if, if something came up, a, a danger or a fear of, of some sort, they could, they could telepathically. And I think all of that is interwoven and related, you know? Um, yeah. I love the exercise that, that we do in class about, you know, looking so at something in a different it. place. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That remote viewing remote viewing and everybody can do it and you do it right out of the bag. I I'm starting my next class for the quarter tomorrow and we'll do that. And that's one of my favorite exercises because it blows their, it blows all their minds. They're going, what? How do we know how to do this? We don't even, but it's just internal, you know, it's it's intuitive. It It comes in with it. It's part of our DNA. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Do we all have deceased loved ones visit us in dreams? And what's the difference between a dream and a visit? in your opinion? Oh my gosh, what a wonderful question. I've had visitation dreams. I know my kids have had visitation dreams from my father since he's passed on. It's been almost three years ago now. And I, I absolutely, and I, you know, my, my dear beloved dogs that have passed on, they've come to me once in a while and dream and they don't come often enough (laughs) in my mind, but I also, and I'm sorry that I'm using such personal examples, but and I, but I but I think I think we all shared these experiences. I had a wonderful woman who was like my she was actually my grandmother's sister, so she was my great aunt. And um, besides my mom and my dad, she was the only other member of the family with her descendants that emigrated from Europe. So I really had very little family here in America, and. One night before, and I just loved her to death. She was my grandmom, really. And that's who I grew up with. We spent holidays together, et cetera, et cetera. Well, that was back in Ohio. And so we moved to Colorado when I was a young teen. And so I didn't get to see her very often after that. But before she passed away, she came to me very vividly. And it was just her beautiful face. I'm going to get for Clint again. I'm sorry, I'm a crier. (laughs) 
but um, she was just her, I felt her presence so strongly and I knew I wasn't awake, but I knew, I mean, I felt her, I felt her with me and it was just love and grace and beauty and family. That's a visitation dream. She wasn't, she wasn't, she hadn't passed on, you know, but, but she was away from me. And yes, we all are capable of having them. I know people that have lost loved ones that are in deep grief, wish for them desperately at times. And sometimes we're in such deep grief that we almost block that the conscious visitation. I think people are around us all the time. I think our, as what you teach, I've, you know, I've always had that belief that our, the dimensions were all here together. We just can't physically see them, but doggone it. They're here. <laughs> so does I that agree. I agree. Well, my experience is when it's a visit, the colors are vivid. It's like everything's in high def. Yeah. The colors are more vibrant. The senses are more on edge. Attuned. The yeah. memory is oh, very much intact. Yes. Yeah. And it's different from a dream where we'll dream for me anyways, I'll dream. And then I don't necessarily remember it, but boy, when it's a visit, I remember every detail and so do others, by the way, how I do the dreams when I want to remember them, it's my phones next to my bed and I dictate it into my phone. So I'll dictate it either in an email and then send it to myself the next morning, because I may want to add to it or I'll dictate it into the notes section of my phone. And I find that's really easy because I don't have to turn on the light and I don't have to do a pen and a right. paper and a quick stuff. Post reporter. Thank you for bringing that up. Cause that is a wonderful suggestion. I've done that in the past. And, and, you know, unfortunately I've awoken my husband on a couple of occasions, even when I'm mumbling, you know, sometimes I can't remember what I say in the morning. Like, what was I saying? But yeah, any way to capture a dream, a post-it note, uh, uh, you know, um, Thank you. I think it's, and it, and it is, it's a matter of training. It's a matter of putting your intention into, yes, I want to remember my dream. I'm, I want to learn from my dreams. I want to tap, tap into that um, little bit more unconscious side of myself to bring it into consciousness. And for me in the mornings, like five-ish, six-ish, as I'm just starting to wake up is when I get a ton of divine downloads. Me too. I will get so much information where my brain is rested and I haven't started my day. And so it's, it's kind of a clean slate and I'll get guidance on that. Look at this, look at that, look at this. Yeah. Because I think your left brain hasn't quite kicked in yet and our right brain is still a little active. And, and, and so I feel like there's, there's a little bit more of a brain balance perhaps where we can, um, yeah, where we're more receptive to those downloads Mm -hmm. consciously. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about my dream. That you interpreted. All right. So let me tell everybody about the dream and then you give us your two cents on it because I'm eager to hear what you have to say. So it's my big brother, Jay, as it turns out. All right. So this is the dream that I remember more than anything. And it is my Mima's house that was built in the early 1900s. And we loved going to my Mima's house. I'm named for her. She's Julia and I'm Julie and I, she still to this day is my favorite person from my childhood, hands down, no contest. And so I used to love to go to her house. She lived in a one story house and it had a basement 
So her house was very warm and nurturing and loving and, you know, she'd cook and we'd spend the night and things like that. And it was always a treat when we got to do it on our own because I'm one of four. I hated her basement. Absolutely hate it. Creeped me out from the first time I was there. Actually, I was brought home from the hospital to her house because my dad was on assignment in a different city for his job. And so my mom and my older brother lived with my Mima for the first six months of my life or something like that. And I remember as a little kid going in her basement, it just gave me the creeps. There weren't evil spirits down there or anything that I knew of, but it was kind of damp. She had a humidifier that, that, uh, ran in there and it had a cement floor. A lot of old houses have a dirt floor. It had a cement floor, but it it was cement block and it just felt creepy. Her laundry was down there. I, I just wouldn't go down there with her. So I had this dream that I was in her coal bin and she had a room that was a coal bin because at the turn of the century, they would deliver coal and there was a chute that would come down from the driveway And the truck would fill this room with coal. And then they would take, they had a great big old shovel, looks like a horse manure shovel that you'll see in barns, one of those great big shovels. And they would put it in a bucket and then they would put it into the furnace to heat the house because she had a gravity furnace that was run from coal. So my dream is I'm at, I'm an adult. I'm probably in my mid twenties. And I'm in the coal bin room in her basement by myself, but there isn't any coal in there. The coal had long been replaced with her gravity furnace, I guess, is what comes after the coal burning furnace. And I can't get out of the room. I'm locked in the room. And there aren't any windows in the room, but there's this chute that comes from the outside where they used to shovel the coal in to fill this room. And I remember thinking, okay, panicking and thinking, how am I going to get out of this room? And nobody's going to hear me. And then, you know, your brain goes into, I'm going to die here and I'm going to starve. And what if I have to go to the bathroom and, you know, on and on and on and on. And I'm starting to panic and I'm thinking, how am I going to get out of this room? And I'm banging, calling for help. Nobody's around. Nobody can hear me. Nobody's in the house. She's long gone. She's dead already. And I'm in her house. So at one point when I just sit down and I relax and I fall asleep and then I wake up and I see there's one of those old fashioned wall hanging phones with the rotary dial on it. And I didn't remember seeing it before. Hmm. And so I went over to the phone and I picked it up and there was a dial tone, Mm -hmm. old fashioned dial tone. Most kids don't know about dial tones because they've been brought up on cell phones, but It used to be, for those of you that don't know what I'm talking about, on a landline, you'd pick up the phone and there'd be a dial tone that would let you know that the phone was active Mm -hmm. and you could use it. There was a dial tone. I called for the police. The police came and got me out. And then I woke up. And that dream has always stayed with me. And so I was thrilled when you said, send me a dream. I thought, oh, Mima's coal bed basement, you know trying to figure out how to get out of there. And then I, I realized there's a phone on the wall and all I have to do is call for help. That's all right. right. There's a major clue with that. Yeah, so really. Julie, 
what you described to me and what you sent me was just, is just a little bit different. So I need to ask just a couple of clarifying questions. So okay. when, when did you have this dream? Oh, I've had it multiple times. Oh, so it's a recurring dream. Yeah, I've had it multiple times. I haven't had it recently, but probably, probably in my, well, she passed when I, she passed in 02, so 20 years ago, basically. And um, so I was in my 40s when she passed. Okay. But in the dream, the first time I dreamt it, she hadn't passed yet, but in the dream, she had passed. Oh, in real life, cool. she hadn't passed, but in the dream, she was gone. Okay. Okay. Well, when I first read over your dream with, that you sent to me, you were, you described that you're trapped in your Mima's, your grandmom's basement, right. and you were locked in at was one, what was at one time in her coal bin. So, which was a room. It wasn't like a closet or, I mean, it was a room. Okay. It was cement, but it was dark. It was closed. Okay. So this is really interesting because what, what really, what struck me right from the get go was this was a type of womb. W O M B. You're dark. It's dark. You're in this damp environment. um, And dampness has is, is related to uh, water, emotions, fear. Okay. And you said that there was a chute into the room, mm-hmm. right? So there's a way out, but, and you know, you, you're aware that it's there, but you're, you're fighting, you're, you know, in your mind, you're struggling. How am I going to get out of here? How am I going to get out of here? Well, I don't know that there was a way out through the chute because the room was empty and the chute came from the driveway down. So there was no way for me to get to the chute or crawl out of it. Okay. But it was there. It was there. Yes. Okay. Okay. So that's kind of, and, and like I said, my very first intuitive hit was it was a type of womb because, you know, here you are in this environment and um, you're going to, you're going to get out somehow, but you don't know the way necessarily. Okay. Correct. So you're, you're trapped in this fear and this darkness. What's really interesting too, about the coal bin, you know, coal that was used to, for energy. It was, it was, it was a storage space. It was, uh, you know, coal was used for burning. So you've got the fire element. Um, I feel like this is connected to your, what I'm going to call your lower self memories before you became an intuitive, when you were still um, not understanding how fear works necessarily and how fear can really consume us. Um, So you're in this dark, scary place. Uh, there wasn't a window in the room you say, but you do indicate there's an opening where the coal had been sent down a chute. Okay. So we already established that. So there's, there's a possibility for a way out. You're just not able to access it yet. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, you now, when you sent me your dream, you stated that you were in your early forties at the time of the dream. Maybe. So I must've misunderstood either. I misunderstood or I'm not um, remembering it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, to me, that's kind of significant because in your 40s, when you felt like you were at this age in the dream, that's when you, you know, that's kind of that early midlife stage in your life where 
you have stability, you're, you're more established. You um, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's really, I mean, you become an adult in your late twenties and thirties more emotionally and psychologically. Right. But in your forties, you're really established. You kind of come into your own. Um, But I feel like now what's interesting is that, okay, I'm going to kind of jump around a little bit. And I mean, these are, I want you to know, these are all the notes. I have five pages of notes <laughs> for your dream. Wow. <laughs> wow. And I'm, we're not going to be able to get to all of that detail no, no. now. Just give of, us the highlights. Give I'm us the to, highlights. Right. So um, when I, when I cut to the chase, you realize that there is a, there's a, me, a means of communication for you to tap into that rotary phone. And that, when I think of that rotary phone, I think of almost circular communication. And you, I think you even said that the rotary phone was black. So you've got it this was. mysterious, mysterious black means of communication that that's kind of that's circular in a way. I think this has to do, this is in relationship to when you realized you wanted to break out of your of a, of a womb of sorts and break into you're you're moving from from physical into spirit and that's a pretty huge transformation and I think it's related to that this this particular dream um, you've got this mysterious communication but you've it's okay so this phone also provides reliable communication and connection okay so when you pick up the receiver you have a dial tone that's reliable communication and it's the possibility for escape. It's the possibility for you to be set free, to be rescued. Okay. You state that you called nine one one and that the police came. So higher authority came and um, rescued you. You felt you were in a space of insecurity uh, and and unknowing and fear. Okay, but there was higher authority to tap into to come and rescue you. Can you see that from a spirit level? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So I feel like that's and now when I I also shared your dream with my friend Laura, who's been studying Jungian psychology for a number of years, at, at least ten or eleven years, and she's got she is really good at picking out. Um, metaphors and um, other symbols. And when, when she saw that you dialed 911, she immediately wondered, could this have anything to do with September 11th, 2001? Wow. And I thought that was an intriguing question because it would have been about 20 years ago. It would have been about, because it would have been, and and I think Julie, because of the because of the way you work with people, you tap into their grief work, you tap into their fears and their and wonderment, and you provide a way for them to communicate. You you provide a way out of that darkness and that fear into uh, into being rescued by spirit in a way, if, if there's a way to say, does that, is this kind of making sense to you? It resonates. Uh, yes, very much. Okay. So, so and uh, is there a connection to nine one one? I get a yes on that. I think that's okay. very and Laura, Laura picked that's, up on that too. And so, and when she, yeah. when she stated that, I thought, Oh yeah, I, I totally was in agreement with that. 
Yeah. Very so, perceptive, very perceptive yeah, on that. Yeah, point. exactly. Right. So I thought that was a really interesting, um, another point of view that she brought it to the dream. So you also shared with us that your grandfather was a police detective who was killed in the line of duty. Okay. Uh, when your mother was 12 mm-hmm. and that your Mima was widowed at the age of 35, um, possibly around the same time that you started having these dreams. No. No, because you said you started having these dreams earlier when you were in your 20s. Is that right? Am I getting confused? Yeah, but my grandfather died in 1938. So I yeah, wasn't. That was your grandfather, that. but your Mima was widowed at the age of 35. Correct. You have a strong so, yes. relationship with your Mima. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Very much so. Very much so. The other thing that's coming to my mind when you're talking about this is the Wizard of Oz. There's no place like home. There's no place like home because and that was my safe place. I was, was going to say, Mima's I think you see your Mima as a little bit of an authority figure and a rescuer. My Mima was pure love to me. She was just pure love. She yeah. was a cocoon. She was your protector. She provided for you. She mm-hmm. provided home for you. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it, that's why this, this dream is so many layered. There are so many things that are, that are coming through. Um, and I, I feel like I'm barely even touching the significance of it yet. We kind of are. <laughs> so is there, is there a bottom line that you can put in a sentence or two of the whole interpretation. I get there's lots of layers, but is there just kind of a synopsis in a sentence or two that you can come up with for the the meaning of this? Yes. So the theme of the dream truly, Julie, for you is that you have, and you're, you're conscious of it, but for some reason, until you became fully conscious of it, just like Dorothy, you always have the means and the ability to call upon a higher authority to serve and protect you. Yeah. And that's spirit. Absolutely. That's spirit. That's, you know, what you were talking about with home. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Wow. 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 That was fabulous. I, will you send me a copy of your notes? Absolutely. I would love to read them. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to need them to, to uh, send all of these to my brother too. Yeah. And, he remembers and, that Cole Ben. My sister's deceased. She died. Oh, well, that's right. Yeah. She died. Yeah. It'll be 11 years next month ago. And she would have remembered it. But my older brother really remembered that basement. He he laughs at me when I say it was just so creepy. And he's like, I was just an old basement. I said, Ew. Oh, gosh. We had one of those when I was in Toledo, too. Growing up as a kid, I hated going down there. But one more thing you brought up, too, that I want to mention is that. This is absolutely also very intertwined with grief that, and you know how grief is circular as well. You know, we heal grief in layers. And when we come upon anniversaries, that grief comes back around. Um, so there's very much a circular archetype symbol in, in this dream, um, you know, through the phone, through the rotary phone and um, through it being a recurring dream. And I, it's, so there's, there's another layer um, that I wanted to mention to you is it's, it's still part of that healing process that you're healing um, that grief process, excuse me, that you're healing, you know, with the losses in your life. So yeah. even though you understand it all, 
Right. We still suffer. You know, Queen Elizabeth had this beautiful saying. Let's see if I can find it. Grief is the price we pay for love. Yeah. I agree. I agree. Well, that was amazing. Oh, good. Thank you so much for doing that. You're welcome. I think it's a great example of the work that Monica does, you guys. If you have dreams that you want help with, she's your girl. Give her a call. Tell everybody how they can find you. What's the best way to find you? And we'll put all your information in the show notes. But how can people contact you and get in touch with you? Thank you. There's a couple of ways to, first of all, I want to tell you about my podcast, which is going to be um, morphing into something different. as we speak, but if you're interested in learning a little bit more about dream work, how to do dream work, please visit us at the dream casting circle podcast.com. It's a mouthful, but if you type it in, it'll lead you to our podcast website and we're on Apple and all the, all the major platforms. So it's the dream casting circle podcast. That's the name of our show. And then my website is dreamguider.net. D-R-E-I-M-G-U-I-D-E-R.net. Dreamguider.net. And we'll have all of this in the show notes as well. I am so proud of you. I feel like a mama bear that, you, <laughs> you know, you're my cub. You're, it's been so fun to watch you and other graduates of the AAT program, really be led and follow that guidance and all of the wonders open up for you. And it's been such a joy to watch you on this adventure. And I look forward to seeing where it goes for you. So everybody, Monica's your girl. If you got a dream, you want to, you want to know what it means. She's your girl. Thank you. Get in touch with her, listen to her show and she'll help you. All right. We'll be back next week. Sending you lots of love from sweet home, Alabama and from Denver where Monica is. And I hope you all have a great weekend and a, and a good first of the week next week. And I'll see you back here next Thursday night. Bye everybody. Be sure to follow Julie on Instagram and YouTube at ask Julie Ryan and like her on Facebook at ask Julie Ryan. To schedule an appointment or submit a question, please visit AskJulieRyan.com. This show is for informational purposes only. It is not intended to be medical, psychological, financial, or legal advice. Please contact a licensed professional. The Ask Julie Ryan Show, Julie Ryan and all parties involved in producing, recording, and distributing it assume no responsibility for listeners' actions based on any information heard on this or any Ask Julie Ryan shows or podcasts.